Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Let's put our hands together for Jesus. Amen. God is good. He is gracious, and he has met us this morning. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome each and every one of you to the Journey Hanley Road. If you um, don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Carlos Smith. I am the lead pastor here at the Journey Hanley Road, and our vision is to see our city awakened to and transformed by the love of Jesus. So if you are with us, um, we pray that you would catch that vision as we seek to see our city revived, restored, and refreshed through the power of the gospel. I'm so glad that you are worshiping uh, with us uh, because there are so many places that you could worship, whether uh, you are with us in person, whether you are hanging out with us on YouTube or Facebook Live, uh, we are grateful that you are worshiping with us this morning. Um, I got a couple of announcements for us. Uh, normally we have somebody else do it, but I was like, man, I, you know, I was like, I want to do announcements this week uh, because I, I felt like, you know, I need to gas some stuff real quick. And uh, I'm just being honest. So I was like, let me do announcements this week. And I just got to commend um, our entire church for coming out on a Wednesday night to jump into the word of God. On Wednesday night, two, over 200 of you all showed up to grow night. Amen. Hey, man, 200 of you all showed up. Um, and, you know, we, we wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we wasn't giving away nothing free, you know. Um, we didn't do no raffle, nothing like that. Uh, we showed up to get into the Word of God, uh, to dive into the Scriptures, to be equipped um, as men and women and families to be a part of Grow Night. And so I want to encourage you, we're going to be doing this. Uh, Grow Night is a, going to be a staple continually um, of our church every Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. If you did not make it out uh, this Wednesday, look, you can come out next Wednesday. We come out at 6. Uh, we have a family-style meal. Um, and so we had uh, some good food. We, work, we fellowship, eat together as a family from 6 to 6.45, we transition to our class, and then from 7 to 8, we learn and we grow together. And we got a man cave where our men come to get equipped. Amen. We got an oasis where our sisters are killing it. We got a spiritual gift class where people are learning to be equipped. We even have stuff for our students, for our teenagers, and for our children. So the entire family um, is holistically coming to be equipped. So thank you all for coming out. And I got to give a shout out um, to our elder Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Francois, who led this effort. Where's Jonathan? Give it up. Where's Jonathan at? Where's Jonathan? I know he's in here. I can't see him. I know he's here. I see him somewhere. Where he at? Oh, there you go. There you go. All right. So Jonathan, his team, uh, let's give it up for our staff, uh, our church administrator for pulling this together. So I want to invite y'all to come out, keep coming out. Let's keep learning um, and growing together. 
Um, also, um, on October the 2nd, um, I want you to mark your calendars as next Sunday. Um, immediately following service, we have a members meeting. It'll be uh, right after service. Um, I want you to mark your calendars. Get ready for that. We have some good things to share uh, with you all. We're going to have it uh, following our service, and it's a lot to catch up on. Um, so we'll serve a little food, like, just to hold you over. So don't worry, like, Pastor, you preach too long. I'm hungry. We got you. We have a little something to put on your stomach so you can get to lunch. Um, and we want to uh, go ahead. We want you to register so we'll know how much child care uh, that we need next Sunday uh, as well. So really excited about this. Um, and also next Sunday, we're going to be installing our many new members. I think we got around 50 or so that's going through membership. So next Sunday will be that. And there are a lot more announcements um, that we could go through. Uh, and if you want to see what else is going on, please download the Church Center app. Um, download Church Center, put in the Journey Hanley Road. You can keep up with all the announcements, all the activities, all the things. Um, and you can also uh, give and support our ministry, which reminds me that, saints, it is giving time. Let's give God a praise for the grace of giving. Here's what the scripture says. It says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men pour into your lap. Um, and I like the imagery of pouring. God promises um, that he will be indebted to no person, um, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And so he calls us to give generously, liberally, abundantly, and joyfully to the support of the ministry. So there are multiple ways that you can do that. Um, we have baskets coming around for those who um, would like to give via check or cash. Um, the easiest way is actually on the Church Center app. You can give via Apple Pay or Android Pay or whatever kind of pay you use uh, there. You can mail it into our church offices or you can text uh, the number 84321 and follow the prompts there to text to give. Uh, but we want to encourage you to give generously and liberally to the work of the ministry. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for our offering as the baskets continue to be passed. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are good and your mercy endures to all generations. Thank you so much, God, for the joyous grace of giving. Thank you um, that you have poured out to us, that you have given to us liberally, abundantly. You have given to us so much, God, and we are grateful, God, not just material things, uh, but you have blessed us with a measure of health and strength uh, so that we may glorify you, God. Please take these gifts, multiply them for kingdom impact right here in U City, St. Louis, and beyond. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I know they're still passing the baskets, but let's take a moment uh, to greet our neighbors and Journey Kids can be dismissed at this time.
Amen, amen. Let's come back together. I'm glad y'all like each other, though. You know some? Some churches, the greeting period is painful and awkward. <laughs> but y'all actually talk, so y'all make it, make it all right. But we are going to uh, jump into the Word of God. But before we do that, um, I want us to give us a heads up uh, that today, right after our, right after our preach, uh, we will have six baptisms. Amen. Yeah, so after, after I preach, we actually won't have communion. I'm going to go out during our response period. I'm going to go out and change me and the people who will be baptized. Um, and we're going to come back. And I'm most excited about today uh, because three of them are my own children. And so, amen. They, uh, two of them uh, experienced God and professed faith right after VBS. Um, so I'm grateful for our Journey uh, Kids Ministry, um, Sister Sarah and her team, who has pulled that together because, um, you know, when we think about things like BBS and these things that the church do, they're not just programs, amen? Um, because of the experience that my kids had there, um, two of them say, talked about how they experienced God and put their faith in Jesus in a unique way. Um, so I'm excited about the six baptisms. Um, and so hang with us after service um, because y'all do know that uh, baptism is how Christians are made, amen? Amen. So it's good to see that the Lord, even in the year 2022, continues to add to his church such as should be saved. Amen. Amen. Um, so we are continuing in our sermon series um, entitled One, which has been a walk through the book of Ephesians. And we've been walking through Ephesians uh, since about um, earlier this year, probably uh, February. It's looking like we're probably going to keep going for a while, but we have parked. Um, I actually intended, believe it or not, uh, to preach one message on marriage from Ephesians chapter 5. Um, and as I was making that plan, the Lord actually arrested me and said, no, um, this is an area in which God's people are struggling. They're having challenges. Um, as a pastor, obviously, I'm aware of things that are going on. And so he said, no, you need to take your time uh, and you need to speak to, encourage, strengthen marriages. And I've been doing that over the next few weeks. Um, and not only marriages, uh, but also people that would like to be married and even people that would not like to be married. Um, the reality is, <laughs> the reality is, is that we're all having a human experience and whether we see God uh, calling us towards marriage, um, even those who are single and who are not experiencing, um, who are not feeling that, hey, God is calling me towards marriage, that there is a, you know, we, y'all know that uh, the guy that we call Jesus, who uh, we proclaim as God in the flesh, was single, right? And so God put on my heart that I have something meaningful uh, to say to our singles and to our divorcees and to our widows and our widowers as well. Um, and so we've been walking through this text. Um, and so I've already shared with us kind of an overarching uh, sermon about uh, marriage. And then I began to speak to husbands. And today um, we're going to look at the text in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, that speaks to wives. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And if you're using our Pew Bible, that's on page 978. If you're using our Pew Bible, page 978, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And if you can't find it at all, it'll be on our screens. And if you would stand together in reverence to the Word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. And when you have it, give me an amen. 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 Hear the Word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself his savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Would you pray with me and pray for me, please? <laughs> Eternal God, our Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that in spite of the winds of culture and cultural sensibilities, that your word is still inerrant, infallible, eternal. Um, and still, even when we don't like it, speaks life and resurrects the dead to life. So, Father, I pray that you would speak today that, uh, that your word, that your gospel, that your goodness, that your grace, that your intention would be heard for your people, not just for wives, but for all people. As we unlock and we continue to explore the imagery of your love for your church and what our love should be for one another. So speak today, Lord, through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I want to lift for a topic, the dance of marriage, the dance of marriage. I've already spoken to you about the mystery of marriage and the ministry of marriage. Today, I want to speak to you about the dance of marriage. And before I start preaching, um, I want to acknowledge something that may seem uh, very obvious to some, maybe less obvious to others, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, but I just want to say it on the front end, let you know that I'm thinking about it. I am fully aware that I am a man, okay? I'm serious. I'm, I'm aware. I've been a man now for uh, quite some time. Uh, and, so, uh, <laughs> and so I want to say that up front because I know how, or I don't know, but I, I can imagine how for some, hearing this scripture read, hearing a man standing up, about to tell you about submission and these things, um, for some may automatically, for some may be totally fine and no big deal. For others, it may be an immediate dissonance and you may want to put the brakes on. You may even be thinking about getting up leaving because you don't want to hear this. Um, and I think all that's fair. Here's what I would ask, though, um, before I even jump into the sermon and all that stuff, um, with everything I just said, that you would know that I'm uh, obviously a man, uh, but I would hope that you would see me. For those of you, some of you have been here longer than others. Some of you are very new. Some of you, this is your first time walking through these doors. But I hope that you would hear first um, that while I am a man, obviously very proud, proudly so, um, that I'm a man, a pastor who actually loves and cares deeply for each and every one of you, and particularly the sisters that are under my leadership and that God has charged me to care for. Um, and that anything that I say, even the things that are more challenging, um, are not meant, uh, first of all, by God to hurt, harm, uh, to oppress, to subjugate, um, and also not by me. Um, that God gives us his word for our flourishing, for our good, and that he's called me, and I really seek to lean into my role as a pastor, that pastors, um, frankly, uh, many women, there are many women on my staff uh, who are married, who are single, and who are, um, who are otherwise, you know, interacting with others. And so what I would say um, is that give me some grace is what I would ask for. Um, give, me, give me some grace. Give me some patience. And um, the Bible says that love thinketh no evil. Love thinks no evil. So in other words, if you do got a question for me, I'm super good with that. I'm inevitably going to say something that you probably causes some dissonance and things like that. That's, I would say that's a given. Um, what I would say is that even if you disagree with me, lean in um, and know my heart and my intentions. And I want you to dialogue with me. You can always shoot me an email. You can always talk with me. But what I would also say is that we're also going to have opportunities for dialogue as a church. We're going to have some panels around marriage. So I don't want you to think that this is only a monologue and that you're only going to hear this one direction, Okay. Like, we're going to have opportunities as a, as a church, and my door is always open. Um, in addition to that, I just want you all to know that I've taken additional measures of security this Sunday. Um, <laughs> 
I have uh, my personal security sitting here in the front row. Uh, <laughs> I, have, um, I have a car idling on Hanley Road right outside. <laughs> I even, you know, I, I, I laughed, uh, you know, because I went and seen like Woman King this week, right? And I was like, wow, this is a, just not the... <laughs> See, this is why, I'm gonna be honest, this is why I put on Wakanda's finest, let y'all know, like, hey, we on the same team, okay? Like, them sisters was doing them brothers. I was like, wow. Like, I was like, I like, Jesus got a sense of humor. I gotta preach this text this week. I didn't see this coming. I'm just trying to be an expository preacher. Um, so, <laughs> I know that was a lot of disclaimers, but I also wanna be aware and sensitive to, you know, the reality of how some people may lean into this text, and also, to be honest, about some of the uh, pain that. Uh, in ways that this text have been used and wielded at times. I think we have to be honest, guys. We've been, as Christians, we 2,000 years deep in this thing. It ain't all been, you know, it ain't all been pleasant, amen? The church has done and experienced things um, that are not uh, for the flourishing of others. And I think we got to own that. And at the same time, hold to the word of God, because I think that doesn't give us a, an excuse to jettison God's standard for our lives, Amen. Amen. So again, I've already spoken to you about the, uh, the mystery of marriage, the ministry of uh, marriage. This Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about the dance of marriage. And I know y'all like the dance of marriage. What's this guy going to say? I, I got this as I was chilling this, uh, this week at Brendan's with one of our elders. And I was hanging out at Brendan's and um, Brother Nathan Matia, he's one of our longtime elders here. He asked me, he said, Carlos, you know, um, you're all done, you know, with school and your dissertation, and all this stuff, man. Are you going to have a hobby now? Um, and I was like, man, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to have a hobby now. I, I haven't even thought about it. I don't know. I've been in, in, in fight or flight mode for the last five and a half years during doctoral studies. And so I'm like, bro, I don't, I don't know. I, I try to have a hobby. He was like, what's your hobby? I'm like, reading books? I don't know. I don't have one. And it's when he's like, man, you need to get a hobby. You know, he, are you going to get back into music? And I was like, I, I just, I didn't have a good answer. And so I thought that was problematic. Um, so I began to think about like, man, what do I want to do? What do, how do I want to spend the little bit of, I don't know if it's extra time, you know, the calendar is kind of like a vacuum, but whatever time God gives me, how do I want to spend it? Um, and I decided that I want to spend it dancing. Um, yes, yes. I'm going to spend, I decided that that is going to be my new hobby. I'm going to dance. So I decided that I wasn't going to wait um, to learn how to dance. Um, I decided I would get on YouTube uh, and I would start dancing. So I started with Michael Jackson. Uh, started with MJ. And I was looking at MJ. I was like, MJ killing it. I was like, man, his move was too signature though. Um, so I tried to moonwalk. That didn't work out exactly, but I, I tried, you know. Um, and then I said, well, I want to update it. I want to bring it to the new school. So I, I pulled up some videos of Chris Brown. I was like, all right, I'm going to dance, see if I can do some do, dance like Breezy. And after, after pulling my hamstring, I decided, <laughs> so I, I don't think I want to I do that. So I said, I figured with the way my age and development is going, that I should find something that is a little more appropriate. Um, actually, me and Monique, we actually learned uh, the Tamiya line dance a few months ago. Uh, but the way my, way my two left feet work, it wasn't like IG worthy, so we didn't record it. Um, but I started looking at all these dances. I started looking at ballroom dancing, and I thought that was dope. I was like, okay, maybe me and Monique, I wanted it to be something that me and my wife could do together. I said, okay, I'll, I'll look at ballroom dancing. Um, well, that was cool. Looked at salsa dancing, since my name Carlos, I was like, that's a little more in line. <laughs> Just a black dude from Detroit, but hey, you know, whatever. You know, I tried that. I looked at that. That was cool. Um, I even looked at um, some urban uh, ballroom dancing. This, this, uh, this couple, Mr. and Mrs. Matthews from Detroit, that they do. It's like an updated ballroom uh, dancing. And I looked at all these different types of dances, 
And as I was looking at it, thinking about a hobby that I could have for myself, I noticed something as I looked at all three of these different forms of dancing. In every single form of dancing, the man took the lead. Every time. In ballroom dancing is a part of the tradition. In salsa dancing is a part of the tradition. Even if you look at the urban dancing, the urban ballroom dancing uh, that, that Brother Matthews and Sister Matthews do. I was going to show you all a video of Brother and Sister Matthews because they be getting it, but I didn't want to offend the saints nor the ain'ts. So I, uh, I didn't show. <laughs> but what I noticed in all of these is that the man took the lead. And what I also noticed um, is that as the man took the lead, what his leadership looked like. Um, it wasn't aggressive. It wasn't harsh. It was actually very gentle. It was often um, given in the form of a tap or a sway or a movement. And it was very rhythmic. And I also noticed that as the man led non-aggressively, that the woman actually responded. In fact, I noticed, especially watching Mr. and Mrs. Matthews, that she actually looked absolutely delighted, enthralled, full of joy. Um, and I noticed that each one of the sisters didn't fight their partner as they danced. They responded to what their partner did. And what was also interesting as I just kept looking at these videos of dance is that oftentimes it was clear that the woman was the far superior dancer. In many cases, the man was actually, he was all right, but it was the sister that was killing it. But what I noticed is that she actually didn't use her superior skill to upstage him. She actually used her skill to elevate the entire dance experience. And so that her strength, rather than compete with her male partner, who often took the lead, actually, rather than compete and push and put them against one another, she used it to elevate all of them. And as we look at our scripture, the reason why I thought the title for this should be The Dance of Marriage is because people of God, that is exactly what this is. Um, God calls us, as his people, to enter into a dance that he has already choreographed between men and women. He's already laid out the steps. That's what we have here in Ephesians chapter 5. We have the steps that God has choreographed and have given to us. And he says, if you follow the choreo choreography, your marriage will be better and healthy. The problem is, you know, there's a problem um, because many of us have experienced this problem. The, the, the issue, the challenge, maybe a more positive way to say it, the area of opportunity um, is that many of us don't follow God's choreography. The issue is that we decide that we're going to improv and do things our way and our pattern the way we have laid it out. And the trouble is, is that we're just not as good of a dancer as God is. And God has said, no, you should actually follow the steps because there's something that's happened in your gate. You're not quite as steady as you used to be because of this thing called original sin that's touched every aspect of men and women. And now as a result, your steps are going to be off. You're going to step on one another's feet and you might end up fighting all together on the dance floor unless you do it my way. And so this dance of marriage is given to men and to women. And so what I would say, even as I talk to folks, because, you know, I know my singles who, who are out here, they're like, well, what about me? Here's what about you. I would say pick your dance partner very wisely. Think carefully. Pray hard about how you're going to select and who are you going to give yourself to. And ask your question, can I dance with this person? As a wife, is this a person that I can willingly, and that's an important word as we walk through this conversation about submission, willingly submit and give myself to, and I'm willing to follow his leadership? And brothers, am I in a place where I can actually lead the dance? Have I studied? Have I practiced enough? Do I have my spiritual, my mental, my emotional, my financial health in such a, in such a way that I can actually lead and help this sister stay on step the way God has designed it? It's okay if y'all don't say amen to the gay. I'm a preacher anyway. I know. I know what text I read. It's all good. 
It's all good. I, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm super good. I told you I got my car outside. I got, my, I got some insoles in these Kohans this morning. I, I'm ready. I got to run. <laughs> but this topic, as we look at what the Bible says to wives, you know, last week it was the brothers. I had some brothers text me. One brother told me that they was talking about jumping me after church. Like, I, would, I didn't even know. Like, the brothers were like, man, you gave, I was like, I thought I was nice. So, uh, no, but it's good, man. We uh, look here and we see a text that's been misapplied, misunderstood, and I want to try to untangle some of this in the time that I have. And so the first thing I want to talk to us about is actually the sharing of the dance, the sharing of the dance. While I read verse 22, you actually, if you're going to get a better feel for this text, this is just one of those places where the editors of our Bibles, while they're most of the time helpful, breaking up this passage away from the rest of the passage is actually not super helpful when we began to preach and teach and study. So if you actually back up a couple verses into chapter 5 and look at, say, for example, verse 20, we actually see a passage of Scripture where Paul is giving instruction to all Christians. And he says, starting in verse 20, look at your Bibles, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Check out verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. These verses, verse 21 and verse 22, are tied together to such a manner that the word for submit is actually not even found in verse 22, as you see it in your English Bible, is actually found in verse 21. The word for submitting to one another out the reverence of Christ is the same word that follows into verse 22 when Paul begins to take an overarching concept and apply it more specifically to wives and to husbands. What is the point in this? Why do, why do I call this the sharing of the dance? Because I want to remind us something that I've said throughout this whole series, that there is a mutuality and a mutuality of submission that characterizes the husband and wife relationship. So when Paul says to husbands, love your wives, as Christ loves the church. And when he says to husbands or, or says to wives, submit to your husbands, it's not that neither party ever does any of these things. It is absolutely absurd to think that a wife would not love her husband. It's absolutely absurd. And it's equally absurd to think that there are not some areas in which the husband should in some areas in some ways submit to the wisdom and words and input of his wife. But what we found out is that because of the complementary nature of men and women, and we believe here, again, as I've said, in two genders, male and female, that complement each other, not deficient, just different, different roles, different functions, that God has said that your role exemplifies certain aspects of the work of Christ in various ways. So the husband's role exemplifies the loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and the wife's role exemplifies the submissive nature of the church that he has redeemed and called to himself. Are y'all tracking with me? And so when we look at men and women, we are looking at two sides of one coin that image God and image the work of Christ. And so when we think about this idea of submission to one another, this doesn't mean, and I, I just want to be clear, you know, some people then took this uh, to, to mean things like, you know, it's, all, it's always the, the wife only submits and the husband always got the wisdom. If, you, if you're a man and you think you know everything, come on, man, we know that ain't we can, we can, we can not pretend, you know, I didn't, I didn't experience that a lot in my own marriage. So there are just some things that my wife is better at than me. And I would be silly to let our home not benefit from her doing the things that she's good at, like managing money. You know, I, she, she's just better at that. She, she is more frugal. She counts money. I'm kind of like, hey man, my dad was like an entrepreneur and a cop and he knew how to make money, but he also knew how to spend money. I am not an entrepreneur, but I learned from him how to spend money. I'm like really good at that. <laughs> And so I, I got a nickname. I'll never forget when me and Monique had, first got married. 
I was like, hey, look, I got this. I'm the man. I'm going to manage all the money. Got it on lock. And then I'm just looking at the bank account dwindle. And so, <laughs> so she's like, hey, I got an idea. She's like, what if we use, I think we use like Mint or some app tracking thing like that, some finance tracking app like that. She's like, how about this? You do it for two months and we'll see what the, you know, in and out look like. I'll do it for two months. Whoever does it better wins. <laughs> and I said, you know, because look, I'm like, I ain't worried about it. I got a Detroit public schools education. I can do some math. <laughs> All these St. Louis public school people laughing. Come on, man. We about, come on, man. <laughs> it's basically the same. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> Y'all can't laugh at me. You know, but anyway, you know, I'm like, okay, I got it. So I did it for two months. Bar graphs like this. Bah, 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 bah. I'm like, okay. She did it for two months. She's like, okay, my turn. She did it. Bar graphs spending way down here, savings going up. I'm like, dang. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'll let you do this. But here, here's, my, here's my point. That submission, that there's mutuality, that we're, that we're a team, that we're playing together. And every injunction, even that of submission and love, isn't mutually exclusive, but that one of our roles exemplifies and should prioritize it more than the other. And so we see mutuality even in marriage. And so this, this sharing of the dance of submission leads me next, as we look directly at verse 22, seeing that this isn't isolated only to wives, but seeing that it is particular and given to, and, and, and the wife bears the responsibility in a unique way, just as the husband bears his responsibility to love. And the next thing I want to look at is the specificity of the dance. I've showed you the sharing of the dance that is between man and woman, that it doesn't mean an overdominance, but it also means that there's a specificity. Look at verse 22. Paul says, wives, submit to your own husband. I think that word own there, I went back and just make sure it wasn't a, 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 a editorial impact. It was actually in the original language. Paul, Paul was very careful there. He says that you are supposed to submit to your own husband. Um, this is important because that don't mean that you submit to every human being with an X and a Y chromosome. This doesn't mean that you submit to any man that walks into the room. This does not mean that you have to submit to the man on your job who is not your supervisor because he is a man. This is speaking directly to one relationship and to one man, and that is to your husband. And the reason why that's critical is because, like I said, this verse has been used a lot um, to uh, say that women should just be submissive. They should just submit. They shouldn't do this. It was used um, to stop women from voting, to stop women from doing all types of things that women should have been able to do that had nothing to do with their role as a wife. And it's been misread and misapplied. And listen, here's the truth. I know that whatever I say today, some people are going to disagree with me on these matters, and that's cool. If you're going to disagree with what the scripture is saying, I at least want you to disagree with what the scripture is actually saying. And what it is actually saying is that while wives are to submit to their husbands, that that does not mean that wives submit to any man wholesale across the board. Even when we look at the cultural context into which this is speaking, Paul is writing to the uh, Ephesian, uh, the, the city of Ephesus, it's a Greco-Roman colony, and in that culture, while women, it would, be, it would not be uh, accurate to say that they were exactly equal as we see today in our modern world, we do see that women were, were able to be autonomous people in that culture, that they owned businesses, property, made money. We see that even in Jewish culture. We see that there were women who supported Jesus' ministry out of their own resources, the Bible says in Luke 8. We see also that there was a sister in Philippi named Lydia who ran a business, and the church met in her house. What kind of house did Lydia have? that she had the congregation in her house. And so the expectation of the scripture was never that women should just submit to any man across the board. The Bible says your own 
husband. Now, to your husband, you should submit. You should defer. But that isn't just anybody. This is the brother who has covenanted with you to love you like Jesus. This is the brother who should, according to Scripture, if we are doing this dance according to the steps that God has laid out for both men and women, is the brother who should be willing to give his life up for you. You should do this for the man that is willing to love you at your best and at your worst. This should be submiss- there should be submission for the man that is willing to love you when you're made up in catfish mode on Instagram and when you beat all the way down and just wake up in the morning and ain't quite hit the scope in the Listerine yet. This is the brother who has covenanted with you that he would be there for better or for worse, for richer and for poor, and that when he has something, when you have something that you can bring to the table, and when you also have to remind him that you don't just bring something to the table, but that you are the table on which the family is built. That is the man that you are called to submit to. Now, the trouble is, is that some of you are like, okay, Carlos, all good. That's cool. Um, I don't feel like I want to submit to him either. Um, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not really, really, really feeling uh, this whole idea of submission, even to that gentleman as well. And so that's fine if that's how you feel. I just got a question for you. Um, if that's how you're feeling, if that's the tension that you feel, um, did you shout, applaud, and amen last week when I told the brothers that they need to die for you? Um, that's my question. Because if last week you were amen and you better say it, pastor, you better... Uh, you better preach. If that was you last week, I need that same energy this week. <laughs> when this, because like, if he got to die, like, I, I, if he got to die bloody, go, y'all do know crucifixion is uncomfortable. Y'all do know that it's slow and it's torturous. And if the brother got to take the bullet for you, you should cheerfully submit to him. Amen. I clap, clap for myself. Hallelujah. Now, this is, you know, what's, what's interesting is that God lays this out for men and for women. And, and, and we, we all have our struggles. So here's, here's the issue, guys. Let's just be honest. The brothers didn't like when I said, you got to die. Who want to hear that? Okay. Yeah, brother, you, what'd you do for your wife? Die. This is my marriage counseling. Y'all want to hear my marriage counseling in a nutshell? I sit down with the brothers. Yeah, man, I can't wait to get married. I, I want to get married. You know, we can make passionate love. And that, bro, die. Just let it go. <laughs> Die. 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 Is that all you got to say? Die. Yes. Have a good one. <laughs> come, <laughs> come talk to me when the, when the two-year romance up now. But, <laughs> you know. but when we think about that, that, that is an ultimate form of submission. And so we willingly, brothers, should give our lives for our wives. But that same willingness has to come when it's time to submit again. Not, not to a brother who's an ogre. And I want to dive into this. Not to a brother who's abusive. Not to a brother who is treating you not like Jesus but to a brother who is striving, not perfect, because he ain't Jesus, he ain't Jesus, let's be clear, because some of us, like, I ain't gonna submit to him, because he don't, look, look, he trying, okay? Like, I don't, because you ain't the church. <laughs> like, shoot, I mean, the church be wildin' though, but anyway, <laughs> we be wildin'. Uh, but anyway, the, the point is this, we willingly come to this dance together. And so, that brings me to my next thought. I've shown you the sharing of the dance, the specificity of the dance. But I want to share with you the style of the dance. Look what the Bible says. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands, not everybody's husband, not any male, but to your own husband at home who has covenanted with you. Check this out. As to the Lord. Some of y'all are like, bro, this passage is wild. And you want me to submit to him as to the Lord? 
It's not just any kind of submission. You submit to him as unto the Lord. Um, what, what, what does this mean? The Bible actually tells us, check this out. The Bible actually says everything that you do, do to the glory of God. That every work that you do, you do it as unto the Lord, even in your occupation. If God thinks that your occupation and what you do in the world and whether you eat or drink is done unto the Lord, why would God not think that the closest relationship that you have to him outside of your relationship with him should not be characterized with a, a, a style that is as unto the Lord? It makes sense. Now, the reason that is given is in verse 23. Look at verse 23. For, because, gives a reason, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself is Savior. God says that if you're going to be on script, that this marriage, we have to remember that marriage, we often think that, that Jesus and the church is patterned after marriage. It's actually the other way around. Remember we talked about in the first sermon? That what actually happens is that Jesus had set his heart on a people and then he was so passionate about his redemption and the picture of his love for his people that he decided he would set up an institution that would mirror his relationship with his bride. And so when we think about the choreography of marriage, he says that, hey, husband, you play Jesus, wife, you play the church. In harmony, remember I told you about the dance, graciously responding and responding and giving yourself to your husband. This means, what this means practically, um, my dear sisters, and I love you, but this means that your submission to your husband is an assessment of your regard for the Lord. Let me put it differently, let me put it a different way. You can come to all the Bible studies you want. You can have your daily devotions. You can listen to all the Priscilla Shire sermons you want. I love Priscilla, by the way. Incredible teacher of the Bible. But you can't claim to be walking close with Jesus and rebel against your own husband. If you won't submit to your own husband, if you're disrespecting your own husband, if you're neglecting his leadership, if you are tearing him down rather than building him up, God says you need to check your relationship with me, because your submission to him is a mirror of your submission to me. Remember I told you, marriage is just an elevation of every single Christian ethic. He says something similar in 1 John 3. Don't tell me, how can you say, rather, that you love God who you don't see, and you don't love your brother, your neighbor, who you do see. Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as Yourself, who is your closest neighbor? Your spouse. And so God says, yeah, you can, you can do all the devotionals, you can be spiritual, you can quote scripture, but if you are not living according to the choreography, it is a barometer, it's taking the temperature, it's giving you a diagnostic, the check engine light is on, that something is not well with your vertical relationship with God. And so, my sister, I know you're like, whoa, that's, that's a lot. How, how, do I, how do I do that? I would encourage you, my dear sister, to elevate your view. Because the reason why some of us are having such a hard time submitting to our husband is because we're only looking horizontally. We're, we're, we're looking at him, and, 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 and we're like, yo, we're not liking what we're seeing. We're not feeling it right now. We're not, we're not vibing right now. And so, we ain't feeling the submission thing. He ain't making, like, he, the, the money ain't what it used to be. He ain't providing us what we want like he used to be. He's not as attentive to us. We like. And so we're not feeling it on this level. The same thing, though, can happen with men, how we fall out of love with our wife. Well, I just don't love her no more and all these things. You have to elevate your view because here's the reality. Your ability to connect with God is predicated on your ability to submit yourself to your husband. So you have to be able to look at God 
and submit to God as you serve your husband. And so when we think about this, I'm just going to keep digging myself deeper here. We keep looking at the text. It says the husband is the head of the wife. Headship, gosh. This is something that is fraught with a lot of misinterpretation, but hopefully um, my hope is to help and to untangle it a little bit. Sometimes this has been taught with a man as a dominant authority figure where wife has no voice, no say. She just shut up and fried a chicken. She's essentially an indentured servant in her own home. She's a concubine as she functions in some marriages. And because of that, headship has come under fire, as it should. When we see, you know, I think some of the stuff that we've seen in our society, some of these things that we've seen recently, like the Me Too movement or the Church Too movement, man, it was necessary. Because people have used verses like this to say things the Scripture isn't saying. I'm obviously a complementarian. I believe what the Scripture says. But some of us has used this to abuse the sisters, our sisters and our mothers and our wives. But when we talk about headship, we have to not only do a word study and see what the word means. That's important, okay? What words means matters. But we also have to see what concept is modeled in the scripture. And if you want to see headship modeled according to Paul here, you have to look at Jesus. And as I began to peruse the scripture and look at a picture of headship that I could sit before you as I think about what it means for a man to be a head, the Lord led me to John 13. When Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross to die for his wife. That's what he's about to do. He's on his way to Gethsemane to start shedding and sweating blood because of the stress that he is under. But before he does that, he serves his disciple a meal. And then after serving them the meal, he get up and strips down to the garments of a servant. And he begins to wash their feet, which is the lowest, even today, the lowest, most menial thing that you can do. And then this is what he says in John 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that is what I am. He said, in other words, I am the head. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. If Jesus washed the feet, if he is the head of the church, which is his body, that is Ephesians chapter 1, that is Ephesians chapter 4, then that means that we, husbands, as the head of our home, do not stifle, um, abuse, or bear down on our wives in such a manner that we abuse and we break her. You are not leading as Jesus led. Here's a fun, funny thing. I actually shared this with y'all. That the Bible, for all it has to share about headship, never tells a man to go out and exercise headship. It lifts up this idea of man as a head and imaging Christ, and then he says, now go in love. And so when we talk about male headship, it is led out by love. And so when we see here that it's saying, you submit to your husband's wives because he is the head, what the scripture is saying is that this man should be taking servant leadership, caring for you, providing for you, protecting for you, and then you honor his sacrifice by submitting to his wishes because you know any of his wishes are only for your good. And so when we talk about headship, redefining, we, 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 we got to 
pull all of that in and not just make this an authoritarian structure because if it does, it's gonna keep doing what it's always done. If we keep doing what we're doing, we're gonna keep getting what we get, which is our women being put in positions that are not healthy for them, men being put in power and all these other things and pressing our women down. And ultimately, brothers, y'all gotta know that when we press down, when we abuse, when we neglect our sisters, our entire, not just our families, our communities and our entire nation suffers. And so headship, headship is a thing not going to steer away from it, but it's characterized in a particular way. Now that we have seen the model of headship, what does the word mean? What is the word study? Well, the word means authority. There is a structural component to it, but it's not only structural. It's structural and relational. I showed you the function first, but now I want to show you the structure. First Corinthians, thir- uh, First Corinthians 11 kind of explicate this more. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ." The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Notice again, it doesn't say the head of man or the head of woman is man. It says the, wife of, the head of a wife is her husband. But what Paul lays out is that there is an order, but he actually gives a Trinitarian picture. So he says, hey, there's order in the Godhead. We all know this, those of us who are Orthodox Christians, that God exists as in triunity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, these three are one. Um, and yet, even in their oneness, homoousia, the oneness of essence that unites the dance, the interpenetration between Father, Son, and Spirit, the par- paranesis that is there, what we also see is that there is a functional and e- economic order that Father, Son, and spirit occupy, and the son is subject to the father. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that after Jesus has completed his work, he will submit the entire kingdom to the father. So what does this mean? It means that God has not flattened or eradicated the, uh, the hierarchy, if you will, the structure of God as the head of Christ, Christ as the head of his, uh, Christ as the, uh, the head of man, and man as the head of his wife. But we have already seen how that functions. And so, does it mean, it can't mean, because we know that Jesus and the Father are equal, right? This is Philippians 2.5, Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal of God. But what it means is that we are united in one goal, one purpose, just as the Trinity is. I can put it this way. This whole weird fight that we got between the wife being the head and the husband representing Christ, it would be like a really strange fight between your head being a part of your body. Wouldn't that be weird? If you pitted your head against your body, detach one for the other and just see how it works out. That's the whole point. It's almost comical, right? It's comical. It's supposed to be. That's, that's why the body, this is why the Bible goes to great lengths to present marriage as one body, as, as, as male and female. You are one. You don't feed your head, see how the rest of your body functions. Don't take care of the rest of your body, see how your head feels. The point is, is that it is absolutely, and this is how you know people got, this is how you know that this is a work of Satan. Because it's actually comical. If we just pull out and look at what God has set in front of us, it is, and, and just try it in your own life. How good does your life go really when you and your wife are beefing? How good, is your, how good is your home, how peaceful is your life really when you and your husband are, are on two different pages? It's not. It's not peaceful. It's not what any, any of, none of us get married and be like, you know what I want? I want us to function differently and on two different accords. And so God is saying to us that I've given you the blueprint. I've given you the steps. I've given you the choreography. Just stop trying to do it your own way because you, you, Jesus already did the dance. Jesus has already shown you the steps through the cross. He's saying, I've laid it out for you. You can't do it better than I did, so follow the steps that I've given to you. 
And so when we think about headship, not only are we talking about an actual authority, but we've already seen that authority is servant authority as image in Christ. We're seeing this connection and relational picture of Christ in the body. But we also see the picture of care and affection. Where do you eat? If you're healthy, you eat with your mouth. That's how you eat. You can't divorce your head from the rest of your body. And so what, the way the ancients conceived of the head was that it was the head that not only was connected to the body, but where nourishment flowed from. Your food flows from your head down to your body. And that's how we grow up together. And so there's a nourishing aspect of headship. But not only that, where are your eyes located? In, in your head. That's where they're supposed to be. That means that the head is the place where you get vision direction. Let me tell you something about God that I've learned. That God always honors spiritual authority, even if we don't. I've had this conversation, you know, um, I've had the privilege that in a lot of the roles that I've uh, had in ministry, I've done what the old preachers call riding the second chariot. And so what that means is that I wasn't the guy. Um, I assisted and I served under the guy. Um, and what I've learned in that is that no matter how gifted you are, no matter how smart you are, no matter um, how, what you bring to the table, that God is going to always give that leader um, the vision and insight, even if it seems peculiar. And, and, and then even what you do, you see God use that leader to bring about his ends and his purposes um, through what he is seeking to do. And some of us struggle with submission. I'm talking to my sisters again, um, because you're like, I'm just smarter than my husband. Let out. You might, I'm, I'm more capable than him. This dude, we actually see this in the Bible, right? We see, we see this with uh, uh, David had rolled up on a guy by a Nabal. Nabal means fool in Hebrew, um, by the way. So the Bible already tells you what's up. Nabal rolled, and he legit was a fool. Um, and <laughs> Abigail was much smarter. Had actually got the brother's life saved. He kept being a fool. He ended up dying. It happens, okay? It's the point. <laughs> you very well might be more intelligent than your husband. You might be more insightful. You might be more witty. You might be better educated. You might make more money. But make no mistake about it, that does not mean that he is not the head of his household. And it does not mean that God has changed how he is going to deal and bless your household based on how good you are at a thing or how much money you bring. I, I know you might got all the PhDs, all that bread, all these things. What God says is that I honor a certain structure and I honor a certain way of doing things and I will bless your home if you follow it. Let me give you an illustration because y'all ain't feeling me. You know, um, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, oh man, um, you know. Sometimes, I mean, because that's legit. Sometimes it's just like, man, she is just more capable as a leader. She is better. She needs things. Man, that may be tough um, to submit to that guy. So it's like, God, you want me to submit to the guy? You talking about the guy that leave his socks and underwear on the floor? The guy that can't, ain't handy around the house? Indecisive? I started thinking about, started thinking about um, our last two presidents uh, of the United States, both of them. Um, and, I, you know, I ain't about to get political. I don't hear everybody go, oh, what do you feel to say? Nothing political. I'm just going to make a factual observation, okay? Both these dudes were very old when they become president. <laughs> Tried to say that as neutrally as I could. <laughs> Y'all, yeah, they, they old, man. It's like, you know, both of them. Ain't nothing wrong being old. It's just what it is. Um, but make no mistake about it, no matter how old they are or how sharp they are or not mentally, um, they are the commander-in-chief of the United States. Now, I also follow 
Um, I like to follow, like, you know, like people that inspire me to do hard things. So I follow a dude, um, you know, like this Navy SEAL dude, um, his name, like, I think it's uh, David Goggins and Jocko Willink, um, those Navy SEAL guys that are, y'all know a Navy SEAL, easily the most lethal dudes on earth, easily. <laughs> and so I was like, man, I just started thinking to myself, I was like, man, you, you put, you know, one of the last two, shoot, even last three, the, last, the president before the last two, he was pretty young and spry, but I mean, I don't know if, you know, and I liked him and all, but I'm like, I don't know if you put any of the last three presidents or any of our presidents up against the Navy SEAL, who do you think going to win? <laughs> who, who do you think is more physically capable? If, if it's a slap box fight, are you taking, <laughs> are you taking President Biden or Navy SEAL? Who are you taking? Who, who, who's more capable? And so what I learned, as I began to think about this, is that you can have more capability in certain areas, but that still doesn't give you authority. The president is the president, whether or not he can take a Navy SEAL in a fist box fight or not. Capability does not equal authority. And my dear sisters, I know you're like, man, this guy just literally just, just doubled down. I know you're capable. I know that you're strong. I know that you're intelligent. But just like the woman who can dance better than a partner, you don't use your skill to undermine your husband. You actually use it to build him up. This is actually my prayer for submission when we start talking about wives submit to your husbands and what the text actually says over in, in verse 33 of this chapter, wives, be sure, it says, wives, be sure that you respect your husband. I, my prayer is that you would all actually begin to see it not as a burden, but as a cheat code. Here's what I mean. Here's the reality. You do know your husband's weaknesses. You know them better than anybody. Nobody knows how weak he is, how frail he is, how jacked up he is, how lazy he is, how inept he can be, how foolish he can be. Nobody knows that better than you. You know how vulnerable he is. You know everything wrong about him. What makes it more difficult is that all of his sin patterns actually impact you more than anybody else. So that's why it's hard to respect him and submit because his imperfections they don't hit his coworkers the way they hit you. They don't jeopardize their livelihood the way it jeopardizes yours. They don't break them emotionally the way it breaks you. And so my sister, first I want to say I see you and I, I empathize. But I also think just as a husband has to make a choice to love his wife when the warm fuzzies are gone, I think you have to also make a choice to respect and submit to your husband. Listen, submission ultimately is not something that can be demanded of anybody, not even of a slave. A slave can choose to rebel and die. You don't have to submit. What the scripture is calling you to is to choose to submit to somebody that is broken, flawed, and fallible because it is God's way. Why did I say it's a cheat code? Because... I believe if you got a man who is being responsive to the things of God, he knows his weaknesses. He knows that he's fallen and fallible. He knows that there are ways that he is weak, and he will see that you still love, submit to him, and respect him anyway, and you will begin to put flint in that man's backbone. You see, your love and respect for him can actually strengthen him, can build him up, because here's the reality. When nobody else believes in you, when nobody else thinks he's worth anything, 
I am telling you, if his own wife believes in him, encourages him, pushes him, pours into him, it does not matter what the world says. And so your loving submission and respect to your husband, it is not something that God is using to put you down. It's something that God is using to bless you because, listen, you want your man to be strong. You want him to be where God needs to be. You're going to be blessed by that. But not only that, it's also God's mechanism to be a blessing to him, to build him up where he is tore down. You know, my homie, uh, he wanted a big homie. He's big Presbyterian homies from NYC, Tim Keller. He wrote in a book. That's what I call him, man. I love Tim. I've been putting crazy stuff on. Like, what up, though, Tim? Praying for you, man. Y'all pray for Tim. He ain't been feeling good, man. But... If you're going to read one book on marriage, there's a lot of books, a lot of stuff out there, a lot of bad things too. I've been reading a lot of it. I'm like, oh my gosh, who published this? Wow, this is bad. If you're going to read one book on marriage, I would recommend to you The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller. Him and his wife wrote it together. I would encourage you to read that. But Tim talks about this, and he says it in a, in a way much better than I could. Tim says, but now into your life comes someone who has the power to overturn all the accumulated verdicts that have ever been passed upon you by others or by yourself. Marriage puts into your spouse's hand a massive power to reprogram your own self-appreciation. He or she can overturn anything previously said about you to a great degree, redeeming your past. The love and affirmation of your spouse has the power to heal you of many of the deepest wounds. Why? If all the world says you're ugly, <laughs> I don't know why that's funny, but your spouse says you are beautiful, you feel beautiful. To paraphrase this passage of scripture, your heart may condemn you, but your spouse's opinion is greater than your heart. Sisters, you had a power to build a man, to encourage him, to strengthen him. And this, this is actually biblical. This is what, Paul, uh, what Peter gets at when he talks about that even husbands that are unbeliever, you can win them by your conduct. And so you have the opportunity. You can actually weaponize your submission in a manner that strengthens your husband. I, I'll be honest, I have been the blessed beneficiary of these types of things. You know, when um, a lot of you know that in a past life I was a musician. Um, I was a decent one. I was pretty good. Um, and I ended up going to school for music and all that good stuff. But in many ways, my excursion through music was a prolonged trip to Nineveh, or a prolonged trip to, to away from Nineveh, like Jonah took. Um, because I didn't, I was just like, you know, I was a musician. I had seen a lot from preachers, okay? I had experienced a lot, and I was like, ah, I'm good. Um, but that was only a piece of it. That was only a piece of it. What was really driving it was that I had a friendship that in its inception and at, at the beginning was actually very healthy, very helpful, was a mentor relationship um, that helped build me and in many ways built me into the person that I am today. But later on, that same relationship turned toxic, and it turned toxic when my buddy became a preacher. Um, homie had delusions of grandeur, okay? Like he, like, I mean, just, it, it literally ruined our friendship. Uh, him going into ministry ruined our friendship. And part of the things that ruined it was the negative talk, saying things such as, you know, oh, man, you could never be in ministry. You could never be a preacher. You're not smart enough. You're not insightful enough. It was, you know how people do put you down to lift themselves up. It was one of those types of things. Some of us have experienced that. And so it became painfully obvious, almost publicly, it was not almost, but publicly obvious to my pastors and to those that I was in leadership under that God was calling me to the ministry, but I would not yield because I didn't think I had, I could do it because of a negative, toxic friendship. While I'm over there, if you got one of those, you need to cut it off and get rid of it. But I'll keep going. At this point in my life, I'm wrestling through these things. I'm married. 
And my wife actually had a talk with me. And she said, Carlos, it's obvious that God is calling you to the preaching ministry. You need to submit and obey to the Lord. Y'all, I didn't think I could preach. I didn't think that I could do that because I had heard so much negativity. But my wife said, no, I I believe you can do it. And so when I was writing my first sermon, I worked on my first sermon. I don't know how many weeks and hours I poured over that thing. uh, And it was still like, ah, you know, but I worked, man. And my wife sat right there, right next to me at my desk as I worked. I would go up to the church because I had a key to the church. I would, I would go up to the church and I, I would practice my first sermon. And you know who was sitting in a row listening to me preach that first sermon? My wife. I almost threw up before, <laughs> before I got up and preached that first sermon. And it was a lot of people. It was folks there. I was a musician around town, so a few folks knew who I was and stuff. But you know who was sitting in the front row? My wife. Here's my point. If I had not received her love and support when other people had told me what I couldn't do and what I myself thought I couldn't do, I would not be standing here right now. And so, my sisters, your affirmation, your encouragement, your tenderness, your sweetness, your yes, submission, your respect is able to build a man that you think might not even be buildable. Now, I want to be clear. I'm talking to sisters that are already married. <laughs> I need to, to my sisters that are not yet married, listen, I didn't say it, I'm going to say it one more again, I'm going to keep saying it, dating is not evangelism, like, I'm not saying a brother need to be perfect, but don't try to build, don't do the build a husband, don't go to, don't do that, he, I'm just telling you, now, you know, there are some areas, all of us need to grow and all that stuff, let me just be clear, like, if he, I say it every time, I'm going to keep saying it till y'all stop doing it, like, if he, <laughs> If he don't love Jesus on his own, for himself, by himself, you should not be waking up, dragging no whole grown person to church. I'm not talking about the folks that's married, I'm talking about the folks that's dating. If you, if you talk to the brother every week and you're like, hey man, you go, how was worse day? Oh, I ain't go day. I was just up all night playing PS5. Just hang up. Just, you know, just, <laughs> I'm just telling you. Look, my generation, I'm a millennial Gen Z. We have perfected the art of ghosting. Use that gift from the Lord in Jesus' name. <laughs> in general, it's bad, but it's good then. <laughs> so I just wanted to clear that up. But If you're already married, if you are married and maybe things are not where they need to be, then you have have not only the power, but you have the responsibility from the Lord to help encourage him and strengthen him in the ways, even there, there are boundaries. I ain't got time to go into all of it, but in ways that are appropriate and are as the Lord called you to do. So I want to keep moving because we got folks to baptize. The sharing of the dance, the specificity of dance, the style of dance, last thing that I want to share with you. Is the scope of the dance. Y'all think the last few was bad. This is this something. Verse 24, Paul says, as the church submit to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. If you weren't mad at me yet, hang on for a minute. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I ain't gonna lie. I was legit trying to wiggle out of that one. I was like, in everything? Let me, let me look at this Greek. Let me pull up my Bible software. See? All right, I read 17 commentaries. Everything? <laughs> like, I'm like, all right, let me look at this. And let me look at this. 
Look at the Targums. I was looking at all kinds of random stuff. Hey, what does everything mean? And looking at the Oxford Dictionary, Webster's Dictionary. I'm like, okay, what, what does everything mean? Um, so let me tell you, before I define what it means, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, because I think that's important. Uh, this is one of those places where we definitely have to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Does God mean that you submit to your husband and everything? It also says in Romans 13 that you're supposed to submit to authorities and submit to all these people. Does that mean you submit to them in matters that are sinful, harmful, illegal, or abusive? Absolutely not. Just no. The Bible actually assumes that you already know that. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when the authorities try to get Paul and Peter to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, the authority says, um, or, or Paul and Peter says, we must obey God rather than obey men. Let me be clear, when there's an unjust directive, an unjust law, an unjust direction that will be harmful, abusive, illegal, or sinful, the Bible expects you to disobey. This is why the Christian church led the civil rights movement and led in acts of civil disobedience because Thomas Aquinas figured out way back in the medieval times that an unjust law that flies against the natural law of God is not a law at all. And so, I want to be clear. I like want to be super clear um, to my sisters there. Um, and this is also clear. This is really important if your spouse is an unbeliever because some of you have spouses that are not believers. You, you may be asking, can I submit to my husband because he's not a believer? Listen, submission, again, remember, it's a, it's a choice. The Bible actually says that you can. It actually doesn't take more than one to start obeying God in this. That's why it's broken up into two. You can submit in the ways that are affirming and the ways that are in line with Scripture. Now, if your unbelieving husband is calling you to do something sinful or something that is illegal or harmful or abusive, you do not. But that's not most of the time, guys. I want to be clear, and we got to be careful. I also want to say this. We shouldn't label things abuse that are not. There are, there are things that are abusive, but just him getting on your nerves ain't abuse. <laughs> I just want to be clear. I just want to be clear because we, we want to define what we're actually saying. What, what does everything mean? Everything means all spheres of life. When he is saying, obey your husband and everything, that means as Christ, as the church submits to Christ, that means that just as with the Lord, there is no sphere of your life. There are no compartments in your life where your husband cannot speak into and is not privy to. In other words, you're not hiding and keeping back areas of life from your husband. You're not keeping financial secrets from your husband. You're not, you don't have secret relationships that your husband doesn't know about. You don't have secret sex lives that your husband doesn't know about. You don't have a secret relational and connective life with individuals that are not your husband. Just as you walk with openness before God, you should walk before your husband and before your spouse with openness. Now, again, I, I, I want to delve into this, um, and I want to just take a moment, um, because a lot of y'all are asking a question. We got this doctrine of submission. Um, what if a husband is abusive? Does the Bible have anything to say about abuse? And it actually does. It actually does have something to say about it. I've heard pastors in certain traditions and read about horror stories of pastors saying to a woman with two black eyes, you need to go back and submit. Let me go on record. I want to go on record ex-cathedra from saying, I will never counsel one of our sisters or one of our brothers for that matter to go back into an abusive situation. I don't believe that's God's will for you. 
And I actually got some Bible to stand on it, and I also believe that I've learned this from my rabbinical friends, that sometimes you got to take the commands that you have and walk it up the ladder of abstraction and land and do your very best. But I don't believe, sisters, hear me clearly, I do not believe that God is calling you to submit to abuse. Why do I say that? Colossians 3.19. Look what Paul writes. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. If, you, if he is beating the brakes off a woman, that is harsh. And I believe that's a breach of covenant and that you have the rights to do what you need to do. And so if that's happening, first of all, I want to lend me and my elders as a resource. I believe in male headship for those reasons and male elders for that reason. If, if there are issues in that way, me and my elders, we are men enough to help you with those types of situations. But I would never counsel a sister or a brother to stay and be anybody's punching bag. But I don't even think that only touches matters of physical abuse. I think it touches matters of emotional and mental abuse. Because the mental strain, the mental manipulation, the mental abuse can be as racking and as devastating as the physical, as well as sexual, sexual abuse. You don't get to rape your wife, period. Also financial abuse. I've seen that happen, where someone controls and manipulates finances, impoverishing one member of the house. The Bible says that we are heirs together in grace. So that means that even if the husband makes the most money, maybe he controls a lot of money, that's fine. That still does not mean that you get to financially abuse your spouse and cause them to be vulnerable and cause them to be at risk. I believe the Bible is really clear that husbands are supposed to love your wives. You're not supposed to be harsh with them. And I believe abuse is a form of abandonment. And I believe that's what the scripture leads us to and draws us to as we look throughout. Because the whole scripture, it actually starts over in Ephesians chapter 3. Yeah, I mean, Ephesians 4 says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you. This is before, right before you get to the marriage injunctions. Remember what I told you, marriage is just an elevation of the Christian ethics. As Christians in general, we shouldn't be abusing people. And so, I want to go on record as saying that. But, I will say this before I wrap up. That's the minority of situations, my sisters. That's not the majority. The majority of situations, for those who are married, is that God has given you a spouse. And let me tell you, big surprise coming, he's not perfect. But God is still calling you, listen to me, in spite of his imperfections, in spite of the things that grind your gears, you stood before God and you made a covenant before God and before men that you would love him for better or for worse. And if it isn't those covenant-breaking things such as adultery, abandonment, or abuse, then God is calling you to honor that covenant. And so you have to listen, it's a choice. You might need some sisters to help support. Go to the Oasis, come on Wednesday night, connect with some sisters that can walk with you. God is calling you into a role not to oppress or grind you under, but to help you lift up your house, lift up your marriage, lift up yourself so that you can flourish. Everything that God gives to us is for our good and for our flourishing. And that's what God has called us to, my sisters. And so as I get ready to transition, as we get ready to go to baptisms, I told y'all, I know I got assignments for y'all every week. This week, though, I don't want you to, well, if you choose to discuss with your spouse, you can, but this is actually a journaling activity um, for you to reflect on because I believe submission Something you got to choose to do. It's a choice. Love, ultimately, is a choice as well, brothers. But I want to start with my couples. 
These are for personal reflection and journaling. If you choose to talk about it, that's on y'all. Don't blame me. (laughs) I want to start with our wives. Wives, in what areas of your marriage is it easy for you to submit to your husband? In what areas is submission more difficult? Why do you think this is the case? This is for your own reflection, for your own journaling, for your own reflection. Also, if you uh, don't catch all the questions, they're actually on the app. If you go to Journey Hanley Road, click on Sunday morning, you'll see my sermon points, and you'll also see these questions for you to discuss in case you don't catch them. But wives, that's your question. What areas of your marriage is it easier, easy for you to submit to your husband? What areas is it more difficult? Why do you think that is? Husbands, do you think you're making it easy for your wife to submit to your spiritual leadership in a home? Or are you making it more challenging? In what ways can you grow? Why do you think this is the case? Husbands, do you think you are making it easy for your wife to submit to your spiritual leadership in a home? Or are you making it more challenging? In what ways can you grow? Why do you think this is the case? Again, discuss them at your own risk. That's up to y'all. I ain't saying that's up to y'all. For my singles. Here's some questions for your personal reflection and journaling. Again, you can talk to folks about it. It's less fraught for y'all. If y'all want to talk to your friends or mentors, that's totally up to y'all. For my sisters, what are the characteristics of a potential husband that a potential husband must possess for you to willingly submit to his leadership? If this man showed up today, are you spiritually, mentally, and emotionally prepared for him? Be honest with yourself. What are the characteristics a potential husband must possess for you to willingly submit to his leadership? If this man showed up today, are you spiritually, mentally, and emotionally prepared for him? Be honest with yourself. For my brothers, my single brothers, assess your current spiritual, mental, emotional, and financial health. As of today, are you the kind of man that a godly woman should even consider submitting to? In what areas do you need to grow? For my single brothers, assess your current spiritual, mental, emotional, and financial health. As of today, are you the kind of man that a godly woman should consider submitting to in marriage? In what areas do you need to grow? I want y'all to think about these. Journal and reflect and wrestle with God. Take, do it prayerfully. Do it looking at these scriptures. I guarantee you God is going to open up things, reveal things to you because especially for my couples, guess what? It ain't all their fault. We all got a part to play in dance. Ain't nobody there. If you married, you ain't dancing by yourself. You done stepped on his toes. She done stepped on yours. It's and all. It's done work both ways. But I want to call this for a moment to go to a time of prayer. I just want to lift up our marriages. During this time, we're going to have our response team down here. They're going to be made up of brothers and sisters who can pray for you and walk with you. You may be listening. You may be like, Carlos, I need prayer for marriage. I need prayer for myself. I'm single. I'm struggling. Whatever. These brothers and sisters down here can minister to you. You may actually have some issues that have nothing to do with marriage or relationships at all. You just may be going through some stuff and you need the church to touch and agree with you. That is totally cool. We got folks down here for you. But we're going to go into a time of prayer and reflection and response. During this time, me and those who are being baptized are going to change and we'll come back together. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, you made marriage. Father, really, as I said in the first sermon, this is a mystery. We've all spent however long human beings have been on earth trying to figure this thing out. God, even the first couple found a way to not make it work. Father, I pray 
that we would all learn our steps in this dance, in this choreography, in this thing called marriage. Father, I pray for my brothers that they would unconditionally love their wives as Christ loved the church. Father, that they will willingly sacrifice themselves for their wives. That God, even when their wives frustrate, irritate, when they become not as attractive as they once were, that they will remember the covenant that they have made with their spouse and with you, and they would honor it, and that their heart would follow their actions in keeping that covenant. Father, I pray for our sisters that are married, that they would submit to their own husbands. Father, that's hard because we as men, we're flawed, fallible, flat-out trifling at times. But Father, I pray for the godly women, for the sisters that call you their Lord, for the sisters that are, frankly, married to challenging men, that this just is not an easy word. Father, I pray for grace. God, I also pray for sisters to come alongside them for a community. Father, and I pray that they would submit to their husbands, not as man service, but as unto the Lord, elevating their view to you, knowing that their submission, knowing that their respect ultimately is not flowing to a man, but is flowing through them to you. So Father, be with my dear sisters. Comfort them, give them grace, and help us as their husband, as their pastors, as their brothers, as their friends, to walk with them in understanding, in grace, in gentleness, in tenderness. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.